Welcome to SaaS Reality, a podcast where two budding founders talk about their businesses. Join Simon and Dean to find out what it really takes to build, launch, and run a SaaS product. Hi, Dean. Hi, Simon. Morning. How are you doing? Yeah, good, actually. It's been a good week work-wise. Some good productivity done on the product this week, which is brilliant. Fantastic. How about you? Yeah, equally good week. It's not been that long since we last recorded, but I have managed to get quite a lot of work done on the workflows, so I'm really happy about that. I feel good about it. The measure, isn't it? Do you feel like you've had a good week? Yeah, that's always an indicator, isn't it? And it keeps you going as well. It helps with that motivation. Yeah. Just before we get into the meat of things, let's just mention we do have a Slack community. So if you're a budding SaaS builder and a developer, drop by sasreality.com to sign up to the Slack group and uh, come and join us. Yep, please don't be put off by the application form. We just do it to make sure that we're getting the right sort of builders in the Slack community. Yeah, I think just about everybody's got in who's applied. Yeah. There may have been one that didn't, who just wasn't appropriate for the group. We want to keep the right people in there. So workflow updates, tell me more. <laughs> So if you remember from the last recording, I said that I wanted to do more Stripe actions. Yeah. When you do a Stripe action, there is normally a sort of a positive or a negative outcome from that action. So I basically had to rewrite Stripe actions in the workflows to deal with the case of you make a call to the Stripe API and whether it succeeds or fails. Okay. I don't want to wait for a webhook to come back after doing that. So basically you you say a customer's card fails, let's say you want to wait a day, you then attempt to charge again. If it succeeds, end of workflow, don't email the user, everything's gone well. If it fails, then you're going to start doing emails and then waiting and doing more attempted charges. So you can end up with quite a sort of nested workflow. But it seems to be getting there. I'm just going through the process now of actually calling Stripe API on your behalf. Yeah, you shared a big long workflow with me and the community at SaaS Reality. That looked complex and uh, full-featured, actually. Yeah. I'm not too happy with the library that I'm using for the workflows at the moment, like presenting them to the user. But I think that's a problem for another day. The actual code in the background for handling workflows and steps works well. So, Yeah, if you've got the underlying infrastructure underneath it, the visual presentation of the information can be separated, can't it? And you can drop something else in. So That's basically been my whole week. What about yourself? I've done a bit of refactoring on the database mm-hmm. as I was pulling in bits of information via the API, the AWS API. I just came to realize that I've got one or two things not quite right in the database. So I dived into my trusty tool, DB Schema, and I started moving stuff around and updated migrations and stuff. And as ever, when you move tables around and change things in the database code breaks so just go through tracking all that down and uh, fixing things um so we're back up and running with importing ec2 and rds data now got some usage data coming in for ec2s that leaves me free this weekend to start analyzing that usage data and see if i can find zombies and orphans that could Mm -hmm. save money if they were turned off so that's the first step which is really good to be there how good is AWS? API versions, because the Stripe API is going through sort of a little bit of a rewrite with um, this payment intent stuff, but Stripe has always been good with backwards compatibility. 
just wonder from your perspective if you're designing quite complicated schemas based on what AWS is currently, how likely is that to change? I was aware of versions. They use dates for version numbers. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't particularly helpful. But mm. so each different service has different API versions as well. So EC2 could have had seven different versions, whereas S3 might have only had four. So I've come to realize that I do need to take note of the versions, make sure I'm using a specific version rather than just latest. Okay. So if you name it, you're going to be okay for a bit then? Yeah. I mean, they do keep later versions around for a while as well. Okay. That's not too bad then. Yeah. I mean, but the plan is to always, as soon as there's a new version of an API, be able to use it. I don't have any strategy yet for falling back to a previous version. I don't know whether some accounts are limited to older versions. So that's maybe something I need to just stick on the uh, to-do list and investigate. But yeah, it's, it's been a good week in terms of coding. Got some progress done, got data in the database. So now I just need to do a bit of the analysis stuff. And the foundation stuff is there. So none of the API keys or anything like that being saved in the database. It's all AWS Secrets Manager. Ah, cool. That's a must-have, right? Yeah, yeah. So if somebody pinches my database, they're not going to get access to anything. Even if they could decode it, it's all encrypted at rest anyway. So decrypt it, sorry, not decode. <laughs> so I've got that data there. It's a good foundation. Mm-hmm. I can easily start pulling in other services now like VPCs and Redshift and stuff like that because all the foundation is there now. I just need to extend classes for specific service types. So I can start really getting into the meat of what the application's about and that's the analysis stuff mm. and finding where we can save you money. And, of course, I've still got the landing page to do. <laughs> I think I might force you. It might be um, one week we're going to have to just set that as you can't come on the next recording until there's a landing page to present to people. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to um, put some time into that, maybe while the football's on on Sunday. I'm not a huge football fan, but uh, pretty excited end to the season over here, so I might take a couple of hours out, do a landing page while I'm watching a couple of matches. <laughs> Quite ignorant to football, so I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> There's a race to see who wins the Premier League between Man City and Liverpool. There's like a one oh, okay. point difference at the moment, and they've each got one game to play. Oh, it's all down to Sunday, and they both play roughly at the same time. Man City, who are in the lead by one point, kick off I think half an hour later than Liverpool. Oh. So could be a bit of a nail biter for those. <laughs> Football fans out there, I don't really mind who wins, to be honest. But uh, you've been flicking channels. Yeah, I like competition, and uh, it's the Formula One this weekend, so I'll watch that instead. Yeah, Shanghai Archery World Cup as well. So there's lots to watch this weekend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Might be working on my um, body print in the sofa. <laughs> yeah, we won't be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good week and all. I wanted to ask actually. I know, Ruff, well, I know what Automaily does. But where did the idea come from? Because I know you're dogfooding it with Snapshooter. So was that purely out of a, a need that you had yourself or was it uh, something else as well? Or did it just grow from an idea like that? It's weird. So after I built Snapshooter, I think it was about a year afterwards, I sort of thought I should build something new, mitigate the risk of DigitalOcean doing daily backups. And I didn't want to expand Snapshooter into other providers because they don't work the same. So I was looking at other products and I came up with this idea for, I think it was called SaaS Flow. And you basically, you gave it all the events from your SaaS product and um, you could then 
inject your data into different forms and do webhooks and stuff like that. So it was kind of like the seed of an idea. And I started looking at it and I decided I didn't, it didn't really have any focus or I wasn't really sure what it was actually trying to do. I was trying to make it so a developer could build a SaaS product to remove a lot of the work you need to do. So like, you know, most SaaS products, you've got to send welcome emails, you've got to do billing, you've got to do invoicing. You get what I mean? There's all this boilerplate stuff that you always have to do Mm -hmm. when you really just want to be working on the actual product. So that's where SaaS flow came from. And I, I sort of spent a little bit of time working on that. And then after about a month, I decided that it wasn't going anywhere to can it. And then I worked on a few more ideas and then <laughs> I evaluated them. So I like had backup stream. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I remember that one. Yeah. And that one's on the back burner and definitely that could come back. I'm not taking that one offline yet. But then I was just one evening, I was having some issues with, I just seemed to get three or four people churn at the same time on Snapshooter. I was like, oh, it'd just be really good if I could build, have something that would send these emails better than what I'm currently doing, which was just by hand. So I sort of evaluated all of the tools out there, and I decided that they weren't really doing what, what I wanted to do. And that was kind of how the idea of Automelli was born. No name at that time. I literally couldn't sleep that night. I came up with the idea at like, 10 o'clock in the evening. Right, one of those. I just couldn't get to sleep. I spent all night thinking about it. We've all been there, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just so excited. And I just like, if I got up at 1am and started coding, would that be a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> Depends what you need to do the next day. But yeah, I've, I've yeah. done that before myself. Yeah, And that was the idea of the first version of Automelli, which I think I've mentioned here before, which was you would just take a Stripe event or some other event and then you would trigger off an email. Yeah. So that's what I built. And then it's evolved into this workflow stuff because triggering off an email just on an event isn't the best way to do it. And I think that's probably a way a lot of SaaS products do it. They just listen to Stripe's webhooks and then do actions immediately. That's really, you don't really want to be doing that. So that's where the workflows came in and that's where Automelli came in. I got the name off NameStation. I think it cost me £30 to put the job up and someone came back with Automelli.com. I thought, that's it. That's the one. Yeah, that's a great name. I like the name. And of course, you got it trademarked as well now. So that's... Yeah, I'm not sure there's any point. If you Google it, it's the only thing that comes up. <laughs> well, people might start using Automail or something like that. So Yeah. So that's how Automaily was born and is still growing. I remember because you were building this while we were talking and doing our stand-ups and stuff. And I just remember the Slack message one day. Oh, beep. I've got to do workflows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to put it off. Like I did the simplest form was just the delaying after an email, but I didn't want to do it because it's just it's a lot of complexity for a first version. Yeah, it's a huge, huge thing to put in a first version, like you say. So, but how useful would the product have been without it? Mm. Yeah, there would have been some value there, but I think with the workflows. It's going to be a real standout product. So. I think the biggest pain is the UI for workflows. The actual back end is weird. You know, when things you can't decide whether something is complicated or not. So from like the outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's complicated, but when it's broken down into its component steps, it's really quite simple. So I guess it's one of those things where to a person looking at a flow diagram, simple as pie, but to a computer being able to work out how to process that flow diagram. A little bit more complicated. <laughs> yeah. 
I would think a bit of recursion in there and well, yeah. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'd probably do uh, several episodes on the internals of that if you needed to, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how gripping it would be for the listeners. No, not really. <laughs> It'd also probably highlight my bad coding. <laughs> so yeah, that's basically the origin stories. And at that point, I started talking to people about it. And I'm obviously in the situation where Snapshooter makes enough money monthly to actually gain value from a product like this. It's not, we're not talking about a sub $100 a month here. We're talking $4,000 a month yeah. in revenue to like look after. So I feel in a sort of a, a very lucky situation to have that, to be able to form the next product and almost give myself like self credibility that uh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing and I know what this product needs to be doing. Yeah. You've come to realize which features you need on the roadmap next as well, haven't you, by using it yourself? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically, I've got to get that churn process absolutely nailed and at that point i'd be happy to open the door i've already talked to a few people in our sas reality slack group who are interested in getting signed up and uh i've been given deadlines by some of them so better get on (laughs) one of the key features one of them wants is broadcasting so you could be able to say segment all my users so like everyone on this plan and we just send out like a marketing drop all right okay i'm thinking about that as well drip v2 (laughs) basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not for e-commerce though <laughs> no that's enough about myself right unless you have any questions no no that's good that's a good origin story i wasn't actually aware of sas flow i don't think you might have mentioned it once or twice no it's probably in the bottom of my uh was it name cheap domain account <laughs> <laughs> every variation of the domain name bought but yeah it was going to be really complicated and like entirely a user sending events mm. kind of like what userlist.io is right thinking about it maybe it's kind of like that but it was going to be really complicated and people were going to be able to write own database queries and all these things. So, and it was going to be like an admin panel and everything. So yeah, I think that's the way of a lot of ideas I've had in the past is I have like one idea and it's huge and I think, oh no, that won't work. And then I come back to it as just like a tight focus on just one little area of it. And that's where the actual product gets built. If I think back to ideas I've had in the past, and then I look at what people are doing now, and I'm like, my huge idea that would have never worked is now that tiny little feature you've now built a really successful business out of. Yeah, I have a tendency to do something similar. Think of the destination, every bell and whistle in there, and um, when really you could just pull it back to a few core features and have quite a nice little product. It's something which I've done this time, actually, with Cloud Insights. Yeah, so go on. What's the origin stories of Cloud Insights? That's not even the last name. Is it the first name that you came up with? No, it isn't. It was uh, Cloud Doc originally. Oh, yeah, yeah. That came about because in my day job, we have clients using AWS, mm-hmm. and I need to get my head around their infrastructure. Quick question. Are they coming to you with infrastructure, or you set up the infrastructure? But No, this is mainly the ones that have already got it. It's like, right, well, can you have a look through our AWS stuff and fix it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They're coming to you in crisis, right? Yeah. Or just tell us where we could improve or we want to be able to add extra capacity, but they don't have auto scaling, blah, blah, blah. So I was really struggling finding a tool that would just document an infrastructure. And that's where the original idea came from. Just sucking all Mm -hmm. of the information from the API in AWS because everything's via the API, even when you use the console, it uses the API behind the scenes. And uh, be able to click around, filter, see what's linked to what, 
which is a tool I want. So I started building that and being a good founder mm-hmm. with a new product, I started doing potential customer calls and customer research. And the outstanding thing that people were saying is, will it save me money and will it reduce my AWS bill? Can we come back to that bit? So how did you find these customers? Because that's something I've been particularly great at. But I was impressed when you said that you'd had all these customer calls and you'd uh, sort of arranged calls with people. So I'd like to know a little bit more about that, really. Yeah, I just started talking about cloud doc in Slack groups and a couple of people contacted me that were interested. Mm -hmm. I called some consultancies and I cold emailed, cold messaged. How did that go? (laughs) Well, it's a numbers game. Yeah. I kind of try to get to know somebody a little bit, you know, a first introduction via LinkedIn, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a great tool for mining business people. <laughs> it really is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I'd find somebody at a consultancy, see if I had any connections in common, try and get a link or a, an introduction, or just drop them an email saying, oh, I, I saw you were linked to so-and-so on LinkedIn. I am too. We work in the same field. This is what I'm thinking of building. Would you be interested in a chat? Oh, fair enough. And a lot of people don't answer. Some people say go away. And some <laughs> people say, yeah, no problem. Oh, okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, that's good. That's good. So yeah, did some customer calls. I think I've probably spoken to about 50 odd people now. Oh, wow. A good chunk of those were at MicroConf as well. Yeah, you came back a changed man from that. Yeah, that was mind blowing. It really was. Peter from Stripe, CX code at stripe.com. B. Harkins, I think his name is, just talked to me about pricing for like two minutes and just blew my mind. Mm. And Patrick McKenzie as well, Patio 11, had a quick chat with him. And yeah, met a couple of solutions architects out there. They were all talking pricing, pricing, pricing. And it's, well, mm. let's pivot. And then after MicroComp, I had a lunch with Ian Landsman. Mm-hmm. of HelpSpot, great help desk system, helpspot.com. There you go, Ian, give you a <laughs> shout out. <laughs> he talked about exactly what I was building and spoke to him about identifying zombies and orphan resources. He'd felt the pain himself and he said, yeah, I'd pay for that. So pivoted away, identify the things that are costing money where you can turn them off and save money. And hmm. that will morph into looking at other things and maybe right-sizing your auto-scaling groups. Version 1 is also going to have reserved instance capacity planning as well. So, yeah, I came back from MicroConf with this pivot in mind and thought, well, CloudDoc doesn't really work anymore. So I had one of those nights <laughs> with a couple of beers on Namecheap <laughs> looking for domain names and Cloud Insights mm. kind of fit. And uh, oh, I think I actually registered it there and then at MicroConf. Is it a .com? It's a .app. Yeah, Cloud Insights is owned by Intel dot com anyway oh no <laughs> they haven't trademarked that have they no there's no trademark for it i have a couple of other names that are trademarkable if i need to switch names in the future mm-hmm. that's the backstory of cloud insights so it started off as documentation yeah. tool and it's morphed from talking to actual aws account owners and managers that what they want is something to manage costs and save them money yeah that's their main priority with aws because developers spin stuff up and forget about it i guess in a sense you're still doing the documentation right yeah funnily enough the uh, cost saving stuff was always part of the roadmap it's just now the primary focus yeah yeah, it's the focus isn't it all the data that i need for the documentation features 
it's still there. It's all being pulled in. So the foundation of the application hasn't changed. It's just what I do with that data and what I present to my customers for V1. Yeah. But now on the back burner a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Origin stories. Good one. <laughs> yeah. I do quite like this topic. You always expect to hear a bit more glamour, don't you? Or, or something. And, uh, I don't think like Otomeli's story is particularly glamorous. <laughs> well, it came out of a real need that you were having though, wasn't yeah. it? With Snapshooter. So that's your product research really, because you knew there was a need for it there. And there's always other companies doing what you're doing. I'll be eating humble pie in six months if no one signs up. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still haven't decided pricing yet, so. <laughs> oh, mates rates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. So, yeah, origin stories are always different, really. But, um, yeah, I feel good about this one because although I've done it by the book, if you like, by doing the customer calls and so on. Yeah. I feel good because it has actually shown me what I should be doing. And this mm. time I haven't thought, no, well, you need that, but I don't. And I think other people need what I was originally going to build. So I'm going to ignore you. <laughs> I've actually listened this time and pivoted. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's interesting. I listened to the Art of Product podcast, the last one they did. I have to put it in the show notes. And is it Derek with Levels? Derek with Level, yeah. Yeah, Level. And he was just talking about like this whole, you don't really know until you put it in front of people. And how most people especially with bootstrapping, it is kind of like hunches as to whether your product will succeed or fail and like what you're actually building. You've got to get quite far down the road before you really get good quality feedback from people. Yeah, he's um, tackling something really hard as well, isn't he, with level? Yeah. To go against Slack as well, That's and paid for. Yeah. So what's the other product in Art of Product Podcast? It's Tuple. Now, they seem to be doing really well. Yeah, that's looking really promising, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if it's just a bit of pressure from that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this pair programming is all about. Never done it. Don't really want to do it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't want people looking at my code. It's bad enough with co-workers <laughs> dipping in. <Yeah. laughs> oh, dear. It's bad enough um, live streaming and watch, having people watch you just uh, misspell a variable <laughs> six times. <laughs> yeah, you do a bit of live streaming, don't you? Yeah, occasionally. Um, <laughs> show all the code away. Cool. So I think, I think we've basically covered it this week, haven't we? We're just waffling on now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good <laughs> chat, though. Thank you for listening to the SaaS Reality Podcast. Why not head over to sasreality.com and be part of the community where you can join in with the discussions. You can send questions and comments to podcasts at sasreality.com or message us on the Slack community. If you enjoyed this episode, we really, really appreciate some honest feedback and some ratings and reviews, especially on iTunes. And we'll catch you next week. Bye, Dean. Bye for now. <laughs>